0: For more information about this and other podcasts we produce, please visit thoughtjarproductions.com. And now, for this week's episode. Hello everybody, and welcome to the Cinema Catch-Up Club. My name is Stephen Platt, thank you very much for downloading this episode. Uh, This week we are going to be looking at blade runner in honor of the release of the sequel to blade runner blade runner 2049 which is due to come out very soon as always i'm joined by two guests someone who has seen the film and someone who has not our guest who hasn't seen the film returning to the podcast it's jess serio hello jess hello how's it going pretty good and uh, you have not seen blade runner
1: i have not no
0: do you know anything about it
1: absolutely nothing could be about anything. I've got no idea. What do
0: you think it's about with a title like Blade Runner?
1: Um, either about a, like a samurai
0: mm-hmm.
1: or a roller derby. I have no idea. Or both. Or both.
0: Well, if it's not a samurai roller derby, then I think you have every right to be disappointed.
1: I would 100% watch that. Mm. I'm just saying.
0: Well, uh, joining us as our person who knows whether or not this film features samurais or <coughs> roller derbies, uh, we have returning Mr. Scott McCardle. Hello, Scott. Konnichiwa. And, uh,. Just a reminder for the folks at home, uh, who are you and what do you do?
2: Uh, I am a Perth-based theatre maker, writer, director, um, and lighting designer who is currently studying at WAPA, uh, studying arts management.
0: Mm. And at the uh, time of this episode being released, uh, your show, Leica, a stage radio play, will have just uh, concluded its run. Oh, I'm sad already. Mm. But yes, it's been going well so far.
2: Yeah, yeah, we've been getting really great reviews and sold-out shows, and it's a a really lovely team, um, and a a really different story to be experiencing.
0: All right, and having uh, just watched it myself last night, I can say it was excellent, Uh, but by the time this is released, unfortunately, the show will have finished its run, Uh, so NABU sucks to you if you missed out. Uh, So, Scott, Blade Runner, um, you, you were reasonably insistent that you would like to do this episode. I did in fact uh claim legal right via dibs I believe. Yes, you did. And Fantastic. uh what what is it about Blade Runner that uh made you want to be here to rewatch it and review it?
2: I was thinking about this Blade Runner is such an interesting movie and such a strange contribution to the to the science fiction canon. Mm-hmm. Um which is really interesting. I think you can look at all of Ridley Scott's movies. I think you can can look at um uh can look at them and, and see where they come from and, and science fiction at that time and see where everything belongs. And then Blade Runner comes in kind of stage left and and is weird and and doesn't have the traditional structure of a film, um, and is beautiful and uh poetic. And just really, really absurd. Mm. Now, uh, not
0: to spoil anything too far in advance, but can you confirm whether or not there are samurais or roller derbies? Alas, there are not. So it's a complete mystery for Jess. There's no blades in it either. Actually, that's a good (laughs) point, yeah, thinking back on it. Um, Yes, uh, now, for those of you playing at home who are about to watch along, we are watching the director's cut um, because that is uh, the... The definitive version of the film, according uh, not only to uh, my guest sat to my left, (laughs) Uh, Scott (laughs) was reasonably insistent when uh, we were talking about potential versions, Uh, but also uh, this is the one that um, Ridley Scott himself considers to be the correct version of the film uh, for reasons we will get into in the review section. So uh, with all that said, shall we hop into it? Let's do it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, prepare to grab your light-up umbrellas and uh, join us as we watch Blade Runner, the director's cut. Hello. All right, everybody, welcome back. We have just finished watching Blade Runner. By we, I, of course, mean Jess Serio. Hello. And Scott McCardle. See uh, yes, uh, very multilingual today, Scott.
2: Thank you. Uh, it, I mean, and that's Blade Runner. It's it's that Chinese-American hybrid culture.
0: Indeed, yes. So we have just finished watching Blade Runner, the Director's Cup. Jess, that was your first time watching it.
1: Yes, yeah, it was. Uh,
0: what did you think?
1: Uh, I didn't like it. Really? No.
0: Okay. Oh, boo. Boo. No, it's Can I boo on this? Oh, dear. Um, we'll give you one boo after she's made her point. Great. Okay. I... So-
1: Could didn't follow, it just didn't click with me. I didn't follow the storyline very well. I didn't really understand what was happening. Um, Yeah, I just didn't gel with, it just didn't gel with me, I guess. I just, I enjoyed the way it was shot. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed a lot of the film noir and a lot of the technical aspects, but the story and the characters just did not connect with at all. Didn't work? No.
0: All right, no, that's that's perfectly fair, mm. Scott. Uh, you you obviously are uh, a fan of Blade Runner. Uh
2: yeah, yep, yep. Um,
0: how was it rewatching it? Uh, because I, how how long has it been since you last actually watched it?
2: I think I watched it when I was first year uni, so two thousand and eleven. So it's been it's been six years actually. Okay.
0: And And uh, how do, how does it stack up for you with with that six year uh, time period difference?
2: It's the same that I thought it was. It remains very similar to me. Um. My main reason for loving it is, and why I think a lot of people dislike it, is it's super different. It's really, really strange mm. and really a different form of science fiction from from that era of Alien and Star Wars That is really stands out from the pack for me.
0: Yeah, and the time period that it came out, at, well, 1982, the year it came out, actually was around the same time as things like uh, E.T., the Extraterrestrial. Mm. And uh, the Thing, uh, John Carpenter's The Thing, all came out around that same time period. So there was a real uh, variety, I guess, of uh, science fiction texts on offer. But yeah, I think Blade Runner is um, is certainly it's it's a very different film, just in general. I, I think it's um, something that comes across. And I I, I suppose rewatching it for me, because it's the first time I've watched it in about ten years, um, I I'd like you, Jess. The first time I watched it was like. <laughs> I did, yeah. didn't like it very much, uh, but that was partly because I struggled to follow it as well, uh, that, that first time watching it, because it isn't a, it, it doesn't hold your hand, it doesn't guide you through, you know, mm. with the exception of the opening text scroll, there's nothing that's like, uh, you know, when we see the Tyrell Pyramid Building, it doesn't say Terrell Pyramid Building, it's all within the world and you have to get fully immersed into it, um, but that first time watching it, I, I found it very... Um, Unfriendly, and I suppose that's just because a lot of films that we watch uh, like to try and include the audience so that you'll come back and watch more. Uh, whereas obviously, with what Ridley Scott was doing with with this particular film, was no, we are creating a world, and whether or not you connect with it, I'm sorry, but this is the world that we're presenting. Um, it, it, I think it's certainly one that through rewatching, I actually think does improve. I think this is probably the most I've enjoyed watching it. Um. Particularly, I, I'm going to have to say, uh, Rudger Hauer as, um, oh, as Roy so, Batty. He's so that, excellent in it. Mm, yeah. Um, what, what is it about um, about
2: him as, as Roy
0: Batty that just, just really gets you excited, Scott?
2: He's incredibly captivating as a performer. And just, I think, also knowing from, from stories of, of behind the scenes of Blade Runner, how much he personally brought... To that role and particularly his ending monologue how he came up with that and it, it's um I, I think it's a really at its core this movie is a very philosophical movie mm. i think i think it um look they, they quote priss quotes dacre <laughs> like mm. <laughs> it's really on the nose at, at that moment mm. but um i think Ruka howard just brings this captivating unwavering uh relish to the role you can really tell particularly in the scene where they're in the the guy who makes eyes where Mm. they're in his place just seems to really be enjoying himself Mm. um and i really love him i think he's probably my favorite villain of all time
0: right but yeah he he does feel a little inclusive i mean what were your impressions of roy bat Bat batty the uh the super blonde uh, villain of this film
1: um just really, uh, just a really interesting character. Mm. Honestly, it's just um, he was probably the m- most interesting part. Yeah, totally. for me, totally, certainly. Um, and
0: I, I think it's partly he is given as a character the the most interesting through line to follow because um, uh, Deckard is is played very well by Harrison Ford, but it, it's kind of just um, is essentially almost just reacting to things. He, there's not very much yeah. that he does that yeah. advances the plot which yeah. is a criticism of one of Harrison Ford's other roles in Indiana Jones he doesn't really advance the plot in one of, in some of those films yeah um yeah, but that's interesting. yeah it, i i really enjoyed um, Rutger Hauer's uh performance and indeed i thought all the replicants were pretty excellent and mm-hmm. and that opening scene where we have leon being interviewed um with the um the the vk test i i wrote down <laughs> vk and didn't actually write down the proper name of it uh but oh, the,
2: the Voigt-Kampff Voight, test. Yes, that one. Yeah.
0: Thank you. Um, yeah, I, I thought I thought that was actually a really well shot scene, and it's a it's a really mm. great way to start the film. I think. Yeah. Of you having this uh, this sort of industrial landscape uh, with all the um, the the jets of flame shooting up and showing that this is a dirty, gritty uh, Los Angeles, much like or uh, contemporary Los Angeles, I suppose, just uh, a lot darker. Um, and. Then we yeah we're into this interview and it it sets up a question which runs throughout the entirety of this film which is what is it to be human um, and I think it provokes those particular thoughts and questions in a really interesting way. I, I think uh, obviously it starts off with very much being um, setting up the non-human, the replicants as being uh, uh, the enemy, being the other, and being um, bad. But I think by the end of this film, you you, you certainly have a, or at least I felt you, you have a sympathy for some of the replicants, or at least some of their points of view. You know, like demanding to have more life. Like, why why are we being considered a lower life form when we're better than humans at lots of things? We don't feel pain. We can endure all these different things. Why are we the ones that are subservient?
2: It's interesting because I think coming away from this rewatch um and having reread the the short story it's based on recently actually in preparation of the electric dreams uh tv series hmm. um which started on Stan um last week uh i come away really perceiving that that question what does it mean to be human um to to be at 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 the core of it it's running underlying there but i think what it is to be human is is to be is is the violence of this? Is where the violence comes from? Is where the selfishness comes from? The vanity comes from? I think the whole time the replicants uh, are struggling to be to to fit in and be more human in a way, but being human, as we see, is the worst thing mm. in this. I mean, Harrison Ford's character. I have such a dislike of him and distaste with him, mm. and and I mean, he he's a he assaults. Um, uh rachel and mm. he sexually assaults her mm. um which is the most horrific part of the movie for mm. me um and i think that's really in there on purpose i don't think that's ridley scott saying oh he's a manly man women love manly men i think it. it really is a comment on how we treat nature and and machines and everything we have dominance of mm. in just this rapist kind of
0: way yeah in, in a way that there's a lot of abuse and i think it's something that's slightly touched on as well in uh, like the alien films for example yeah there is a lot of uh references to uh i suppose sexual politics within that as yeah. well um but yeah certainly uh deckard is, is shown to be kind of just a scumbag in a lot of ways yeah. and you know he he, he lives in a, a terribly designed apartment he eats at all these like noodle bars down in this this sort of underworld um, and, you know, the whole time you've got all these uh, adverts, uh, you know, saying, come live off world, come to where it's nice. But we never obviously actually see that these nice places because that is not Deckard's world. That's not where he belongs. You know, he, he is scum,
2: essentially. But more for me, just the, the tenderness the replicants have for each other, mm. the love they have for each other, mm. um, their tears, their blood feels really real and really genuine and more human than anything Deckard does, mm. and anything Tyrell does, or um, the police uh, officers—you know—they're they're all very much
0: just going for the motions of doing their job. They're robots, mm. Mm. <laughs> <Ooh. Funny> enough. <laughs> um, so, some of the design aspects, which were really uh, good to see in thirty-five years on, I think still hold up. Were there any of the uh, visuals in this film that stood out for you, Jess?
1: Um, more just the fusion of the different kind of worlds like the sort of sci-fi techie stuff and mm. sort of ancient stuff and a lot of technology that we've seen from that era of filmmaking so same, similar to the Alien movies and yeah yeah, yeah. I think there's,
0: um, there's a very clear design uh, element which follows through from uh, the design of uh, some of the ships in Alien to yeah. uh, particularly uh, the architecture of, yeah. of, of this film and um, I've I, Quite like the flying cars. Um, yeah. Yeah, I thought they're that was really interesting. Well done. They mm, look kind of
1: flimsy really though. A little bit.
0: Well, little certainly, bit. certainly the ground ones, which were, they, they had obviously the ground cars, which were designed to be a similar shape to the flying ones, mm. but they did rattle a little bit, a little which bit. was um, unsettling, but, you know, thankfully no major road collisions in this film.
2: <laughs> Ridley Scott really likes his, like, monoliths. Mm. It's just like, I feel like whenever he design- gets a designer in to do buildings, he's just like, monolithic. Mm. And they're just kind of like, uh Okay
1: Yeah everything's kind of huge isn't yeah, it's it It's massive yeah.
2: It's nice can we make it
0: bigger though Like yeah. impossibly bigger
2: He snuck the Millennium Falcon in there
0: Yes I, I was trying to keep yeah. an eye out for it Because uh, oh, when I was I doing the it. trivia troll It's sticking up at one point isn't it
2: When they first approach the police building The round building when they when they Pick up Harrison Ford at the start and take him um, To see Bryant uh, It's just round the corner of it um, oh, okay. Upright
0: mm. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeez. He likes to sneak things in. Mm. <laughs> and that's a piece of junk as well. So it, it looks as though it, it belongs. Fits. Yeah, it definitely belongs. Um, and also the, the other thing with the, the flying cars, there seemed to be a real thing in the 1980s with cars about having doors that just opened upwards. Uh, obviously, yeah, assembly like to the Yeah,
2: <laughs> I think it's the same tunnel. When they're driving through that tunnel, they go through it twice. I think it's the same tunnel from Back to the Future 1. Oh, yeah. When he's approaching that and they're doing the race. Oh, could Biff be, yeah. And into the plants into the manure. Yeah, that's right. Um, I, I actually I do think that's the same tunnel.
0: Okay. Well, I mean, certainly it's a very similar thing, uh, obviously, with the doors. I think it was just a very much an early to mid-80s uh, phenomenon of like, mm. let's open the door in an entirely new way, but obviously yeah, extremely unsafe, so <laughs> maybe that's why it didn't survive. Um, Edward James Olmus's character. Yes. Yes. Um, I, I I know obviously you're a big fan of Eddie uh, Scott.
2: I do, I do. I, well, who doesn't love Battlestar Galactica?
0: Pretty much. No, no one. Excellent. Everyone loves it. So, um,
2: right. thank you for your support.
0: But what? It, it, where does this sit in sort of his um, his his list of uh, characters that he's played? Is this is this towards the higher end for you?
2: He's really interesting. Um, I I'm pending a full opinion on that character until twenty forty nine. Mm-hmm. Um, the movie, not the year. Yeah, I was um, going to say that's a while, uh, because I mean, there's there's a there's a big theory. So obviously, the ending. So we see in the director's cut, the dream Deckard has of the unicorn, and obviously at the ending, um, Edward James almost, who's been making origami, he makes it twice. Uh, previously, mm-hmm. leaves a little unicorn for him, which alludes to the fact that Deckard um, is a replicant. Is is not a human himself Hmm. um uh and that this other blade runner edward james almost's character is aware of that is aware of the memories he has and the dreams he has there's a theory that edward james almost's character is where deckard gets the memories from is essentially deckard um which i think is so interesting and i think it's really tantalizing um yeah, it, it, it's interesting because I there's, there's one thing he's talking in like, um, uh, in in Chinese, um, uh, at the start, um, to Deckard when they're at the noodle shop, mm. and he just he just stops doing that after that and yeah. and speaks English, and it's kind of like, why did you do that? Well, <laughs> I,
0: I think there was a suggestion certainly that it, it, in this um this futuristic vision of the world there's very much this this part of los angeles with the uh, fusion of western and eastern culture mm. has developed its own sort of uh, singlish i guess you know like we get with singaporean english there's sort of their own version of that so it could be feeding into that
2: but yeah, i mean it's definitely there for that for that cultural hybrid but um the interesting thing is he, he speaks in english to deckard later but he they they have to deckard doesn't speak this language i mean it, it shows him as this unwavering stubborn jackass who won't adapt to the culture around him despite loving ramen um, uh, but he needs that translator and it just feels like that actor that they got to play the noodle bar owner just mm. like needed more lines. They had him <laughs> for the day and they just wanted to give him some more lines. Mm. But yeah, it, it, was, it
0: was interesting. and I, I, I thought it was interesting, the choices in the little origami figures. Like that first one, he makes a bird which sort of looks like a chicken mm. and he makes it at a point where um, the chief of police is calling out Deckard and calling him a coward. Like I thought that was interesting. Yeah. And then that feeds into the second figure where he makes the little man. And then the third figure where he creates the, the unicorn. It, it does suggest that there is a through line. Um, and do we know if Edward James Olmos is in 2049?
2: I don't, I don't believe we do. I don't okay. believe we do know that at the moment. Okay. Um, I really hold up hold on to, to hope that he will be. He, he's really fantastic. I, mm. I think he's just a fantastic actor. He's got such a distinctive look. I mean, mm. he in this movie, they his facial hair, he just has a striking look of, of the devil and he walks with a cane and a wicked hat and I love it. It's so good.
0: Yeah, he's, he's got an excellent screen presence. Mm. Um, something I noticed while, whilst watching this film is this Blade Runner has an extremely present Uh, musical score Mm. and I was wondering Jess um, what you thought of the uh, of the the score uh, and how it um, affected the the scenes we were watching
1: um well it's your typical movie score isn't it like bad guy comes in and some deep music comes in
0: Mm. what a theme though yeah it's uh, it's it's beautiful music by Vangelis but mm. it, it did feel very um not so much on the nose, but maybe on the ear. But you know, it just felt very, um, very present, uh, very um, dictatorial, I suppose, of how we as an audience should feel. We, we when we uh, reviewed the Untouchables a few weeks ago, that was an extremely on the nose score of. It's like now you're going to feel tense, 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 tense. Oh wait, we're with um, with uh, the family now. Da 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 da. And like a lot of films do it, but that film in particular did it quite heavily. And I thought it was interesting that the choice of using the music by Vangelis gave everything a an ethereal, almost dreamlike quality. At which, least that was yeah, the connection I was making,
2: which I really I really love about it. I really love um I think it feels really present because there's quite a lack of dialogue mm. for long periods of time. Yeah. Um so so you just become aware of what else you're hearing mm. when they're not talking. Um and it's there's this great sax synth sax feel in some of them that i think is just like wicked noir um and it, and it really builds that atmosphere for me i particularly like the music in this movie yeah mm. it
1: helps to create setting when there's no dialogue yeah and, and stuff, it yeah. it
0: builds that world in, in very much the uh, the tradition of, of a film noir which this is this is a yeah a yeah. film noir right very. the way through the only thing that um deckard's missing is, is the hat and to be honest, I think that's just because they didn't want him to look like Indiana Jones. Yeah,
2: didn't he ask for like <laughs> no hat? He was—he said that he was sick of wearing hats from Indiana Jones or something. Hmm. Um, but he has like a real dumb haircut. Harrison Ford with short hair just looks real dumb. Hmm. Well, he—he he
0: apparently got that haircut to—to to try and make him look more—more um, more like he belonged as part of this world. Because a lot of the—the the haircuts in this film are very much 1980s haircuts, um, and. They, they were playing around with the idea of him, him having like a traditional film noir hat. Um, and they were like, no, this is too close to Indiana Jones. We, we, we need to do something different. So Harrison Ford went out and got uh, that, that quite short haircut, which doesn't look great on him, but I think works for this world uh, and that character. Makes
2: him look like a schmuck, an average. Yeah. An average stick in the mud. Yeah. Average Joe. Just idiot who mm-hmm. just doesn't have his life together and is slobby.
0: Mm. So it was perfect for the character, I'd argue. It fits it was, in
1: with the world as well.
0: Yeah, it was. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, we, we, we see him starting to hunt down the replicants, um, mm. uh, obviously, using the uh, snakeskin cell and some very interesting uh, Photoshop
2: techniques. God, that scene is just too long. <laughs> That scene where he's zooming in and mm. out—it's like, ah, mm. uh, just spot the mirror straight away. Like, let's just let's just trim like a minute off this scene.
0: Yeah, it definitely. And to be honest, like it—it's a good film, but I, I don't know whether or not you'd agree with this, Jess. It's maybe twenty minutes too long.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I definitely agree with that.
0: I—I'm I, not sure how you'd feel about it. Scott, obviously being a fan, but just watching it, there were points where I was kind of like, we could cut through a lot of this, but then whether or not that affects an audience's enjoyment of the world building i mean i mean i I, it's interesting a large parts of like this this um this scenery that we were seeing uh and and just sort of establishing a very slow build of uh tension and mystery was really well done but Mm. i did feel as though maybe there was slightly too much of it particularly into the second half
2: yeah um I mean the. I think where it feels like it's got a very slow pace. Mm. It, it's got a slow pace, and it's unapologetic for that, mm. which I really like. I really Ridley Scott is just kind of like, I know what this world is. I know what the story is. He fully realizes his world um, so much in that it's so it's it's like the most stylized film. I've ever seen mm. it's so brilliant in that sense that, mm. that he, you can ju- it's so tangible mm. it, you don't feel like it was shot on a soundstage no um, which is so great mm. and uh, it's it's really slow and you can kind of zone out a bit when they're walking around doing that you just kind of let it wash over you um, so you could trim 20 minutes off but I don't know I think I think in the last bit the chase mm. it really you can really forgive it for taking a bit of time because i think that last the, ch- the chase is 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 very tense very interesting a nice detour from the style so far where he's been hunting them mm.
0: um and then yeah. it switches to having roy batty hunting and hunting him
2: mm. yeah and who he, he does it with such glee and 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 it's Small things like putting the nail through his hand to keep his hand open as his um as his body starts to shut down on him, mm. um, i I think they're just really interesting touches.
0: Mm. Yeah. Do you agree with that, Jess? Did you find that 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 final fight sequence um as as riveting?
1: Yeah. No, the final fight scene was very engaging. Mm. Um, I, co- I really like the way they did it. Yeah, it I, was I I really I... weird. It was. I it's particularly. So weird. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, I mean, I enjoyed the fact, and I thought it was a really interesting choice, that Roy Batty almost goes primal. Mm. You know, he puts the, the blood of uh, Pris on his face mm. and then starts howling like a wolf, running around in his underpants. Um,
1: well, it's almost like his mind is shutting down with his body. Yeah. For me, it feels like he's um, pretending to be a
2: human, mm. and he's turned that on Deckard, and, and, and Batty is now the human, and Deckard's the replicant. Yeah. And that's how he sees humans. Mm. Which is yeah, such a, mm. And that was Rutger Hauer's idea to to do it that way. Yeah. I think Ridley Scott wanted it originally to be like a kung fu fight in like a boxing ring.
0: Yeah, he was he was looking at more of a uh a, a like you say a kung fu thing and uh, Rutger Hauer was like, "I'm not a big fan of Bruce Lee. I don't know that that's necessarily what we should be doing." I think it's a good choice. It, yeah, and I think it's also a good choice because Rutger Hauer does not know karate, which I think yeah, uh, would have been a pain in the butt to Try and, and teach him.
2: We've seen Deckard be horrible at fighting. The yeah. whole movie, he just gets the shit kicked out of him mm. and gets his gun. Yeah. Like, <laughs> the Kung Fu fight would last, like, 30 seconds, mm. and then Roy would just, like, burst his eyes. Mm.
0: That said, Harrison Ford is very good at getting beat up. Mm. He does a very good job of that.
1: He went to the stormtrooper school of shooting at things, though.
2: A little bit, yeah. Although, occasionally, <laughs> he hits them.
1: That long-range shot where he gets her through the glass. Oh, yeah. Oh,
2: yeah, that's pretty good. That is a, a whiff, like... Hundreds of people around. Yeah, when he takes out like, Zora. You're the, you're the worst policeman ever. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, it's so cool. He
0: says, get out of the way once. You know, that should be enough.
2: And after he does the first shot, some guy, like, wanders in and is just kind of like, why is all this glass everywhere? <laughs> and then there's a <laughs> shoots again.
0: Yeah. He's, he's he's Look, he's not the best cop. Maybe that's why he's a Blade Runner and not a proper police officer. Maybe yeah, yeah. it's kind of like, yeah, we'll just, the replicants are probably good. The
2: hierarchy is there because everyone seems to really dislike him as a Blade Runner or, like, avoid him. He's kind of like the. It's kind of like they, they get a criminal to be a cop.
0: It, it almost feels as though he's just like a hired gun, like a bounty hunter. Yeah. I you, know, yeah. It, you know, like, who would you trust more, a police officer or Dog the Bounty Hunter? Because that's sort of what we've got in this
2: case. I would never trust Dog the Bounty Hunter.
0: <laughs> Although I now want to see Dog the Bounty Hunter chasing down Rugger Howard. That would be a really fun, uh, <laughs> but probably quite short fight. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, so we touched on uh, her briefly. Uh, the character of Pris, played by Daryl Hannah. Um, I actually think, uh, arguably, is as interesting, if not slightly more interesting, than Rutger Hauer as mm-hmm. Roy Batty. It, it's a tough one because, obviously, Rutger is absolutely brilliant and that character is very much the, the focal point mm-hmm. of um the the replicants. But I think what uh, Daryl Hanna does as Pris is really fascinating, particularly her physicalization of that character. Mm. Mm. Um, I don't know, what did you think jess
1: Um, I thought she was scary. Mm. <laughs> she's she's just really kind of twisted.
0: Yeah, and yeah. a bit disarming. Yeah. Like she like cuz cuz Roy Batty is sort of always intimidating looking. Like mm. you you don't look at him and go, "Oh, he seems nice." <laughs> you know, it's it's always kind of like he he could kick the crap out of me. Yeah. Um, but with Chris, she, you know, we, we see her pretend to be like uh, scared and homeless when she meets J.F. Sebastian. Mm. Um, and then, you know, we, we also see her playing full-up uh, murderous doll with um, black uh, eye makeup and stuff. It's it's such an interesting performance. Mm. Um, and lots of backflips, Scott. A lot of backflips.
2: She's so great. She's so great in this. Um, I love, because obviously at the start we find out she's a she's a pleasure bot for like Miners and security out on the outer rim which is just like terrifying and violent and you i feel like you can really feel that that anger and resentment bubbling up in in the fact that she she befriends jf mm. but she never warms to him whenever she, he turns away there's always a slip of the smile a twitch in the eye mm. she knows exactly what she's doing um it's so good
0: it reads though that through those um experiences of of essentially being a um like a pleasure bot or whatever they're they're referred to um that she has learned a really important facet of human psychology particularly male human psychology and completely uses that against um uh, jf yeah jf Sebastian because he's um he's obviously a very lonely guy with um an, an aging disease yeah um and brilliantly played by William Sanderson, I have to say, like mm. he's he's a very um, empathetic character. And despite the fact he's but got an entire apartment full of uh, animatronic toys, I didn't find him personally creepy at all. No, no, he's he's, just he's... sad.
2: Yeah, he's just I feel real sad. Did man.
0: you find him creepy?
1: Oh, not him.
0: Yeah, but, but the toys.
1: The, the toys, no, no. <laughs> Do you know when they? That's no bueno. When,
2: when she comes in, when she comes in with the makeup on, and you see that. That one with the really long nose, just like staring terrified at her. Yeah, it's just like, has he given those sentients? What's going on? I want mm. to know a little bit more about those toys because mm. well, that I'm... guy was freaked. Yeah, I mean, yeah,
0: he was. He was not having a good time. But maybe it's just because uh, you know JF wasn't there. They all obviously love JF because JF built them to. Well, JF she... was sleeping.
2: Oh, of course, in the, yeah. in the seat there. It's, yeah, that's... but yeah, Dar- yeah, it's Daryl Hannah's super interesting. Mm-hmm.
0: It, yeah, but it's it's all interesting and then of course uh JF is the key for taking uh, Roy Batty up to meet uh D- Dr Tyrell uh, no relation of the uh of the Tyrells of Westeros. Mm. Um <laughs> and yeah I, I, that's a really again another really strong but unusual performance um from uh, Joe Turkle, who plays uh, Dr Eldon Tyrell. Um where I don't think he suspects he's at any risk of Roy Batty killing him in the way that no. Roy does. I no. think the whole time he thinks he's in control. Yeah. And it, in a, in a sort of almost allegorical, uh, Frankenstein sense.
2: Yeah, totally. Totally. Mm. Um, I think he spent too much time with, with toys and not enough time with people. And, and mm. cause by that, by that stage, I mean, Roy and the others are uh, virtually human. Hmm. Um, in a way, and I think that's his, his downfall. And I think hubris is his downfall as well. I think he kind of mm. perceives himself as a bit of a god.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, he lives inside a giant monolithic pyramid and he creates people. I think he definitely has a god complex. A little bit. You know, he loves playing chess. <laughs> He's, um, yeah, he definitely... That's a little on the nose. <laughs> has that, yeah, just a little bit. Um, but, again, another interesting performance. And, of course, he has created, uh, not only all these replicants, he also creates Rachel. Uh, who doesn't know at the beginning of this film that she is a replicant. Um, And we we haven't really touched on her yet, uh, Sean Young, but she's a really, uh, played by Sean Young, she has a really important through line in this film, Mm. which is uh, both incredibly important, but also kind of heartbreakingly sad. Um, Because she's just having a bad time pretty much throughout this whole thing. First she finds that she's not real, then she, you know, gets programmed into Stockholm syndrome by <laughs> by um uh, Deckard, and then you, you know that we we still don't really know what's going to happen to her uh, when we get to the end of the film other than that it's probably going to be she'll die Dying. reasonably soon. Yeah, yeah. Um and again, it's one of those things which when it comes to Blade Runner 2049, what they're going to do with, with that, you know.
2: I'd be surprised if she's in it. I'd be really surprised if she's mm. in it. Um, there. She. Her first scene is so good. Mm. In the, when he's testing her. Mm. And I feel like that's, the movie really lets her down. In a way that most femme fatales are let down in noir.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, she has that moment where she shoots Leon in the head. So um, which is really great. And it's like, great, we've got this connection now between Rachel and, and Deckard. And this is going to be great. And then he sexually assaults her and
2: keeps it in his apartment until the end of the film. And it's like, ah, okay. And then, like, everything she says at the end when he comes back, it says, um, do you love me? It, it's that call and repeat that he gets her to do when mm-hmm. he's assaulting her. And it's kind of like, oh, yeah, you're trapped. <laughs> this is, this feels really abusive and really disingenuous. Yeah.
0: And I, how, how did that read as a first-time viewer for you, Jess? Uh, her relationship with Deckard?
1: Oh, it was jarring, mm. really. It, suddenly yeah. she's just being assaulted by this person
0: yeah right? and the first time i watched the film i was uh, 18 i think and and it was one of those things where again you, you know blade runner does a lot of pulling the rug out from you mm. and it did that in obviously an extremely horrible way where it's like oh deckard's essentially a sex pest this is not good <laughs> uh, but is it is it does deckard treat rachel in that way because she isn't human
2: yeah, what a yeah, That's what an interesting concept.
0: Yeah, because I I think uh, it, it is interesting how um how all the characters interact with each other depending on their status because obviously mm. uh, you know R- um Roy Batty makes the point of uh, you know saying you know we are not slaves uh, or or calling um uh Deckard uh, you know he's he's a slave to society he's a slave to the system that he's he's inside and the replicants all treat each other very well, and you see a lot of the humans just not really treating each other that well at all and it's and again that that interaction where deckard essentially just kills replicants his his, his relationship with them is violent and um and and abusive mm-hmm. so it it just seems really odd that he suddenly develops a a sexual
2: relationship with one well i I mean, is it? I mean sex and violence are so tied and the way he has uh that that the way he has that relationship um with her is very violent. Um, I mean it's it's as worse, if not more worse, than shooting her, essentially. That's his way of dealing with her. Mm. Um Yeah. Mm. I it's, hate him.
0: <laughs> yeah. And and that is what I think is going to make it really interesting with this upcoming film as well, with 2049, because we know Harrison Ford is in it and that he's playing uh, Deckard, which maybe maybe means that it answers the question of him being a replicant or not, if he's still knocking I'm around. I'm pretty
2: sure they've confirmed it. I'm, co- I'm pretty sure they've confirmed that he's a replicant. Um... Well,
0: Ridley Scott said um, prior to this, this sequel being made, he was like, oh no, he's a replicant, mm. um, but Harrison Ford... Uh, played the character as human, and Harrison Ford has always said, "No, that's bull, bull poo." He's, um, he, Deckard is human. Uh, and Rudka Hauer, when they were working together, treated, um, Deckard as though he was human. Um, he said he, he even said in interviews post the film that he would have done his performance very differently if he believed that Roy Batty believed Deckard to be human. Uh, to, sorry, to be a replicant. I'm you sure know.
2: if Rid- Ridley Scott wanted wanted roy to know that he'd know that but no. I'm, I'm gonna default that ridley scott is right because he's the one who wrote it <laughs> but if that's
0: the case then um why do we have a replicant 35 years on or 30 odd years on in in this new film i mean obviously we could don't know nexus
2: that. 7 could be could be one that they got to, uh, to, to new to model. longer could be a new model recharges could, wirelessly could not be the original decade yeah that's possible could be, could be a new replicant because mm. um, it'd be interesting do replicants age um, I mean, they mm. talk that they do have cells. Yeah. So, so I'm assuming that it does. Um, but I think it's something we can't really know until until next month.
0: All right. Well, uh, Jess, having now watched uh, Blade Runner, are you excited to go and see Blade <coughs> Runner 2 2049?
1: I might wait till it's on DVD.
0: Okay. <laughs> yeah, that, that's perfectly fair. Um, Scott, your anticipation of this new film?
1: I reckon it's going to be great.
2: I reckon uh, it'll, have, it'll be a lot more pacey, as modern movies will. Um, As one of the movies do Uh, Ryan Gosling is fantastic Jared Leto is always very interesting On camera Mm. Um, And it just looks really Really bloody great And it looks like there's a female Replicant assassin in it That's blowing shit up And I love it
0: All right, well, uh, we'll obviously have to get your thoughts next time you're on, having seen it. Uh, But uh, we've got a couple of uh, trivia snippets for you all here. Um, We spotted it during the film, but when uh, Pris first meets uh, Sebastian, she runs away from him, skids into a car, and smashes a window with her elbow, which was a genuine mistake. Uh, Daryl Hannah actually slipped on the ground, and it was proper glass. (laughs) Um, She chipped her elbow in eight places, uh, and still has a scar from the accident. So, uh, you know, yikes. (laughs) That would have hurt. (laughs) It it certainly would have. But again, it's one of those things that it's left in and it looks looks right. It looks good. And that's partly because it was actually real, which is um, certainly an interesting one. Um, Similarly, there there was a a lot of conjecture that Sean Young and Harrison Ford didn't exactly get along uh, when they were doing their scenes together and that when um, he pushes her against that window frame uh, when they're in the apartment, that was actually like a proper, like, more forceful shove than it should have been, which is why her reaction is what it is.
2: Didn't he, um, to apologise for that, didn't he, like, moon her at one point? Yes. He, it,
0: it, they weren't getting along, and he realised that they needed to to do this film process, and part of that was that, yes, he mooned her during a very serious scene, and that sort of broke the ice. <laughs> Um, But yeah, I mean, obviously, I mean, this this was a film that was fraught with difficulties uh, in terms of the production. And, you know, the reason that we're watching the director's cut is because there had to be one uh, based on what happened when this first when this film first came out. Uh, Scott, do you have any very strong feelings on this?
2: Uh, Well, towards the very end of production, um, uh, Ridley Scott was fired. The producers fired him um off the production because they'd showed some stuff to test audiences and test audiences didn't get it and people weren't liking it Mm. um so the producers came in um redid some of the ending put this awful narration in exposition at the end um and ridley scott and harrison ford hated it um uh and there were rumors for a long time of a of a director's cut and it was Everyone was like, no, there's not, no, there's not. And Harrison Ford was like, yeah, I don't think there is. And then the director's cut came out.
1: Mm.
0: Um, it came out 10 years after the original uh, release of the film.
2: And it's so much better. It, it's it, so
0: good. It certainly does fix up some of the issues. Um, and particularly having the unicorn dream in, it just makes it work much better. Um, I mean, but the original, original cut ran for four hours. Mm. Like, it was a long film. Uh, and most of the crew and uh, the writers admitted that it looked beautiful, but was incomprehensible. Uh, which is partly the reason why I think the producers decided to put in that voiceover to go, and this is how it ended. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I do think some of that still comes across. I mean, I'm watching it again for the second time and there are little bits and pieces watching it where I'm going, no, I'm lost. I'm lost right now. And then eventually it comes around. Um, and I think that's, that's maybe why this film is, is arguably in, in that sort of cult film status. It's one of those where you... Get it or you don't. I don't think anyone sits down and watches Blade Runner and
2: goes, "Hmm." <laughs> it's a weird mainstream yeah. cult movie in a way. Mm. Like most people have seen Blade Runner mm. and like it. I think the obscurity of it uh, and I'm not comprehending the narrative fades away, and I think people really dig it after a few years. Mm.
0: Uh, One of my favourite facts was uh, to do with the uh, snake in the film. Uh, Joanna Cassidy, who played Zora, uh, was at ease with the snake uh, because she actually has a pet or had a pet snake in real life, uh, which was a Burmese python named Darling. Oh, that's cute. Which is just a great name for a snake. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so... Ultimately... What did you think of this film, Jess? Let's let's try score this thing. So, out of ten, and you can be perfectly honest. Scott's on the other side of the room; he's he's. I'll keep him over here. <laughs> you can be completely honest. What would you give Blade Runner out of ten?
1: Uh, four.
0: Four. Yeah. Okay, now that's 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 absolutely fair, <laughs> Scott. Now that you've uh, just just breathed. You I'm
1: okay, I'm yeah, totally okay. fine with people not liking <laughs> stuff that I
0: like
2: That's okay uh, What would you give Blade Runner out of 10? i give Blade Runner a 9 out of 10
0: Not the full 10?
2: No, I saved the full 10 for Gattaca and Gattaca alone Yeah, <laughs> and actually there is a lot of Gattaca uh, cross
0: uh, themes here Which I think would be really interesting mm. Just making a note. Make sure to invite Scott onto Gatika. Oh, or if he, he will died, be, I'll be so mad. He will be extremely cross with me. Excellent. All right. And uh, for myself, um, it's it's an important film. It's an excellent film on a technical level. The fact that it still stands up visually so well after thirty five years, I think, is very impressive. Um, and I like lots of this film. And obviously, it's influenced a lot of uh, science fiction that has come since. And obviously. It itself being uh, from uh, based on a work by Philip K. Dick uh, Do Androids uh, Dream of Electric Sheep and, and all that uh, that comes with Philip K. Dick I think it's it's such an important part of the through line that is um, Western science fiction mm. but it's not one of my favourites um, and I, I, I certainly appreciate it more now but the thing that actually made me appreciate this film the most was when Red Dwarf did their Back to Earth specials which was basically all kind of like a mick take off Blade Runner, which was an important influence on um, the the creative team behind Red Dwarf when they first did it. You're so British. I know, I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they, they, they even have a scene where the four of them are running through and they get shot through the glass, and then they meet their creator in a giant pyramid, and everything is set up exactly the same. And Blade Runner made... The fact that we're pulling the mick out of Blade Runner, made me enjoy blade runner more it it almost humanized it in that sense for me um this this replication which they were doing uh humanized it which is really weird now i think about it but ultimately a score um i ooh, it's it's hard cuz it, it's great but at the same time it's not one of my favorites so i'm i'm probably going to have to give it 7 zoom in enhance zoom in enhance zoom in enhances out of 10 uh I, I think that i think it's a seven for me uh, but there we go so that is it uh scott and jess thank you very much for reviewing uh, blade runner
2: Thanks pleasure as us. always
0: all right and for those of you listening at home thank you very much for listening uh, of course we have an entire back catalogue indeed this is episode 25 so uh, you've got a quarter century of podcast to go back and listen to and uh, enjoy and if you are enjoying it then why not subscribe download share with your friends or indeed supporters on patreon all of that information is available via our website at www.thoughtjarproductions.com uh, but that's all for this week so until next time